What do you think about when you see this date? I'm sorry? It's an important date. Why? Did I get it wrong? Is that not the correct uh, date? Maybe, you know, it, it could be that I messed up. I, I thought November 6th is election day. Close enough, all right. Yeah, I, I need to do my research more before I come up here to preach, I guess. Uh, why is election day important? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping uh, that uh, people will elect uh, the best person for president, right? Uh, it's not uh, just a person, usually. Uh, there's, there's, it's a whole structure of transition uh, of power, right? Now, not necessarily. It might continue, right? The present administration might, might win, and there will be no change. Uh, but uh, every four years on uh, something close to November 6th. Is it like the first Tuesday of November? Is that the official? I should have written first Tuesday in November. Um, right, that's an opportunity for people to, to vote and, and try to get a president, representatives, senators, you know, city officials, the right person for the job who will hopefully exercise it well, right? Uh, a potential transition in power. And um, sometimes uh, it might not make much of a difference uh, to you who is in power. Sometimes it will. Uh, sometimes the new administration will come in and, and lower taxes or increase taxes, right? And that could affect you personally. Sometimes a new administration will uh, bring in additional social services that, that might be helpful to you, right? So there's Certain things happen when there's a transition in power that uh, make it into an important day. To some people, it makes a bigger difference. Um, as I understand it, there's about 4,000 people uh, being employed uh, in the executive office. So you have the president, and then he has his advisors, and they have like their advisors, and all these people who serve them. So there'll be 4,000 people who might potentially lose their jobs if there's a transition in power. And on the other hand, there's 4,000 people who are going to get a job, right? Uh, and, 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 and bigger difference can happen. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, that's at minimum, you're going to have that kind of a, a change happening with a transition in power. Uh, today, we will look at a scripture that describes a transition in power. And this is the biggest transition in power uh, that this world has ever seen. Uh, it will not leave anyone unaffected. There won't be anybody who says, well, it didn't make much difference to me, so you know, it could have happened or not happened. This will make a big difference to anyone uh, on the face of the earth. So that's what you want to think about as we look at the scripture today. How will this transition in power affect me? And uh, what can I do about it? Right? Uh, there are certain things you could do, I guess, if, if you knew a an election is happening and one of the, the persons is promising certain changes, you could try to prepare for those in advance. 
And so when the transition in power happens, uh, it won't catch you unguarded, right? You'll be prepared for whatever might happen. And so we all want to be prepared for this upcoming transition in power. So with that, let's turn to Revelation uh, chapter 11, where we pick up where we left last week at verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Revelation 11, 15 to the end of the chapter. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. A transition in power is happening. Uh, we see uh, that there is uh, this kingdoms of this world uh, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the change uh, that is happening. Uh, I don't know, but I thought this chart might be helpful. Uh, we've seen similar charts before as, uh, as we've preached about uh, these subjects. Don had a different one he shared a few months ago when we were... I think talking about uh, the, uh, the transition between Revelation 1 through 3 to the rest of the book of Revelation, trying to have a big picture of, um, of what the Bible teaches, uh, over, an overview of history. Um, and uh, it starts uh, with eternity past. It goes into innocence, which is creation, right? God created Adam and Eve. They were innocent. They were without sin. Uh, there was a tree in the midst of the garden, and God gave them one command, not to uh, eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and evil, one command, with the consequence that if they did eat of it, they would die. And they uh, made a choice. Instead of believing God and following God, they believed Satan in the form of a serpent, and they followed him, and that uh, resulted in them being uh, thrown out of the Garden of Eden, and, and living uh, outside it, uh, that's considered the age of conscience. So now man knew, we knew what was good and evil because we ate of that fruit. Uh, what will we do with that knowledge? Uh, that ended up in the flood, so we didn't do very well. Right? God judged the world because of the multiplication of sin, and it was the first indication that something has happened. While God actually gave the world to mankind. We're told in Genesis 1.26, uh, this is in the garden, to Adam and Eve, God said, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God actually gave the world to mankind. It was ours. But when we chose to follow Satan, we, in a sense, gave him power over us. And so now we're told, and this is Jesus said uh, before the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan as the ruler of this world. Uh, John says in 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So while mankind is on the earth, uh, we are effectively being ruled over by Satan. We chose to follow him, and he hasn't let go of the reins, so to speak. And so we are still, in a sense, under his dominion. And so the age of conscience fell. Uh, human government is considered to have started after the flood, because that's when God gives authority to Noah and his sons. In fact, the responsibility that if someone commits uh, murder, they are to be killed themselves. That the Mankind has received the right to judge other men, and that started the nations. And so you see, if you continue from um, Genesis 11 and beyond, that now we have nations on the earth, uh, or a human government. Uh, sometime after that, God gives promises to Abraham, right? And then Israel receives the law of Moses. Uh, we see that that fails as well in the scriptures, and then we had uh, the age of grace, or the church, where Jesus came, he paid for the sins of all mankind, he gave the gospel to the church to preach, and uh, unfortunately, that, that period will end in uh, tribulation, after the church is taken away, and yet all of that is part of what we would call the kingdoms of this world. Right now, uh, the world is being ruled by people feeling that they're doing whatever they want to do, right? We, we like to believe we're independent. We know from the scripture we're actually are still being ruled by Satan in the sense that he is able to, to guide us into the actions he wants us to take. And that will become very obvious during the tribulation period when we'll have the Antichrist on the earth empowered by Satan. He'll have his prophet uh, we'll see that all coming up in chapters 12, 13, uh, and on in Revelation. That will become very clear. Uh, just the, the power Satan will have over mankind during this period, and that will end with Jesus Christ coming. And that is when uh, the kingdoms of this world will become uh, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his uh, Christ. Now, if all of this is, is kind of confusing to you, and like, boy, I sure wish that you know, I'd spent more time on this. Uh, we have a plug in here for, for a, uh, a new study we're hoping to start if there's enough interest. I've mentioned it to some of you. Uh, this is uh, called the Stranger on the Road to Emmaus class. And basically what it does is it tries to go over the entire Bible in 16 weeks. So you know when you do it, you're not going to go into great depth but you'll get kind of a nice overview of what I was just talking about, from like the beginning to Christ. Um, and so if you're interested, talk to me afterward. I have uh, 
books I could hand out, and we can start talking about when and where we might have this study. Okay, um, back to Revelation. Uh, thinking about the timing, so I just talked about uh, election, transition in power in the United States, happens every four, four years, first Tuesday um, in, in November. Uh, what about this? When is this happening? So it said in verse 15, then the angel, the seventh angel sounded. So if you remember, I don't have a slide this time around of it, but we've showed it enough that hopefully you remember. In the seven-year period, uh, God is revealing his judgment, his judgments on the earth, and it starts with the seven uh, seals of the scroll that, that Christ will be opening, and then there's the seven trumpets, and then there's the seven bowls that's coming up. So this is the seventh trumpet. Now, if you think, well, okay, 777, this should be roughly two-thirds through the period of seven years of Revelation, you would be wrong, because the, the timing for this judgment is not given, right? Um, so we don't know exactly when each one's happened, but they appear to be increasing in intensity. And Matt pointed out when he preached on chapter 10 that uh, in, the, in the days of the seventh trumpet, or when the seventh angel is sounding his trumpet, in those days the mystery of God will be completed. Probably all seven bold judgments are going to happen in a period of a few days. So this is right before the end of the seven years that this proclamation is given that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our, of our Lord and of his Christ. So this is the very end of the seven-year uh, period. Um, why, why has God waited so long? Why did he wait those seven years, not to mention the 2,000 years before that of the age of the church, not to mention the 1,000 years before that of the previous dispensation? Why did God wait so long to step in and end this rule of Satan over the world, uh, and a rebellious independence of mankind. Why did he wait so long? Um, Jesus uh, says this, when the disciples asked him in Acts 1, 6, and 8, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, therefore when they had come together, so this is after Jesus rose from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven. Right? So there was a period of about 50 days, uh, which is why we call Pentecost, Pentecost, uh, between the two. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So this is 2,000 years ago. They had the same question. Now is the kingdom. Right? We've been waiting for so long for the kingdom. You've come as Messiah. Yes, we were confused about what you, why you had to die and rise from the dead. But now that you've risen from the dead, now... Let's start with this kingdom business. And Jesus answers them, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus says is, I'm not gonna, it's not going to be now, and you're not going to know when, but in the meantime, you need to be busy preaching the gospel. Why? Because the gospel had power through what Christ has done to transfer people from 
the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. That's what it says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He, that is Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So we're talking about a uh, transition in power. Well, so there will be a transition in power coming to this world, but you can go through that transition right now. You can be transferred from the kingdom of Satan, the power of darkness, into the kingdom of God. And the reason that's good news, we'll see the rest of the passage we'll look at today. Right? Usually when there's a power struggle uh, in history, in the United States it's usually done very peacefully. Right? When you know, one president goes out, the other president goes in. Uh, but over history, when there was a transition in power, it could often be very violent. Right? The opposition gets wiped out. Right? And everybody that was supporting the new king is all of a sudden in position of power. The good news is you can transfer to the winning side now. Right? You don't have to wait to get wiped out when the new power comes in because you could be part of of the winning side, the new power uh, that's coming. And that's why, why God's waited till the very last possible moment before the power transition happening. He's giving as many people as possible the opportunity to transition from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And if you haven't made that transition, uh, it's not too late to make it today. I can't promise about tomorrow, but it's not too late to do that today. Okay, what is this new power? So we talked about the kingdoms of this world on the way out. Uh, what is this new power? The kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So I had in that uh, picture I showed the chart, uh, there was uh, the final dispensation, if you would, before eternity future, is the millennial kingdom of Christ. It's described this way in um, Isaiah chapter 2. There's many references to it in the Bible. This is Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So three comments I want to make about it. First of all, God has a right to rule this world. Um, we might say uh, this administration has a right to rule. Uh, President Biden at the moment has a right to rule because um, uh, he got the most votes in the last election, right? And, and we consider that fair. But let's say uh, you're a descendant of American Indians living on a reservation, 
And you will say, I, I don't see why he has a right to rule. Uh, my people were here before uh, the settlers came hundreds of years ago. Uh, I didn't agree to this constitution that was written. And now I have to submit myself to this uh, president that, that I don't agree has a right to rule over me. Right? Uh, certainly, uh, it would be very hard to imagine anyone having a right to rule over the whole world. Right? You could find many people would object to any person's claiming uh, to have that right. But uh, in the case of, of Christ, the case of God, he made this world. He made you and me. He has a right to rule over us, right? You can't dispute that, that right by, by virtue of creation. Uh, second, uh, while uh, you know, Biden, you might say, has a right to rule by virtue of election, uh, you might question whether he has the capacity to rule. Say, you know, you're not, you're not fixing these problems. Yes, you're, you know, we elected you to rule, but all these things that you promised will happen, haven't happened. You're not able to, to effectively rule and, and govern this country. Now, I don't have anything personal against Biden. I'm not trying to start an insurrection here, <laughs> using it as an illustration. Uh, and, and again, certainly any, imagine any man trying to rule this entire world. You know, can he do so effectively? Do people really have the power uh, to rule effectively uh, over the world. And uh, the only one that really has that power is God. God has the power to rule this world. No one can resist God. Uh, it said in the end of the passage we just read um, that uh, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can you imagine a world without war, where nobody even knows how to fight battles, where there's no weapons whatsoever in the face of the earth? Uh, in the United States, uh, there's um, you know, often this debate about uh, the rights to own a weapon, a gun. Right? And can you go to a store and buy a gun? And you know, some are against and some are for. Uh, and someone pointed out, you know what? There's 100 million guns in the United States. Even if you stop people from selling guns anymore, it's not going to fix the problem. Right? You're not, you, you can't undo what's there. Right? The government is not going to be able to do anything about that. Uh, not so when God rules this world. Right? He has absolute power. He's able to rule effectively. Uh, finally, uh, he, has, he has the right character, the kind of ruler that you want. Uh, in Luke 22, 24, it says that uh, there was a dispute among the disciples as to which of them should be considered greatest. So this is before Jesus, you know, died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. The disciples were following the Lord Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah. He was soon going to take the throne in Jerusalem. And they were already jockeying for power. You know, I'm going to be the one on his right-hand side. I'm going to be the one with, you know, who's going to rule over this part of the empire. Right? And Jesus says to them, and he said to them, 
The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactor. Right? He's describing the way people rule in this world. It's all about having power. Right? That's what people are after, are having power. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Uh, Jesus was giving here an example to the disciples and says, you know, greatness in my kingdom is going to be judged by humility and being willing to serve others. That's what I'm looking for. I, I had a lesson of that once when I uh, uh, went... I think it was to Napa with uh, uh, Brother Matt here and uh, Bill McDonald at the time. And I can't quite remember. Um, I think I was the driver. I think I was the driver. And you know, I have different recollections about the trip. But one of them was uh, Brother Matt and uh, Brother McDonald fighting over who gets to sit in the back. <laughs> Usually, you know. People want to sit in the front. That's, <laughs> in this case, it's like both of them were trying to show the others respect. And that is what God is looking for in his kingdom. Right? Those who are in authority are to act as if they're younger, meaning giving more respect to those who are under them and serving them. Right? So that is what Jesus said. That's the way, that's the kind of character God is looking for in authority. He wants to put on top the person who is the most humble and will serve others the most. Right? So with that, turn to Philippians chapter 2, or you could look at the screen. Philippians chapter 2 says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, asking us to follow his example. So there should be some personal application here too who being in the form of God, that is Jesus, being in the form of God, in the Greek is of the very substance of God, did not consider it robbery or a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God. He didn't want people to treat him as God when he was here on the earth, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the, of the cross. What did Jesus do? Being in the form of God, he came to this world as a nobody, being born in a manger, uh, rising up to work as a carpenter, right, before being baptized by John, and then starting to preach, to heal, uh, and to serve others. But the end point of his ministry was his death on the cross, where he said about each of one, this one, better, better that I should die than that this one dies. And he was thinking of you and of me when he went to the cross for me. He, he took the very lowest place. And so we're told in verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him 
and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is Jesus sitting on the throne? Because he took the lowest place. Now, again, he has an inherent right for it as God, right, as creator, and he has, uh, he has the power to be able to do so effectively, but he also has the character that God is looking for in being the ruler of the world, right? And so Christ will be the new, the new power of this world, right? The kingdoms of this, of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We know it'll be a thousand-year period in the millennium, but then Christ will continue to reign after that time as well. Okay, uh, so that's the transition in power. Now we want to think about, you know, who benefits and who's going to suffer as a result in this transition in power. Who benefits? Uh, so we're told in the passage about the 24 elders. Uh, right, sat before God on the throne and fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. So, so they're, they're benefiting. Who are these 24 elders? We're told that the uh, 24 elders represent the church, right? So that's a picture of the church. Who are the church? The church are those who believe in Jesus. How do we get... Uh, conveyed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love, it's by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving His free salvation, right? So those people who have received God's salvation will rejoice when God is on the throne, right? Not surprising. Uh, they're also described, so these are, these are all things that describe. We're not, we're not talking here about you have to do this in order to get that. If you are a Christian, these things should be true of your life, right? Uh, so we're told in verse, um, in verse 18, halfway through, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. So that's a description of them, your servants. Servants would be those who do what their master is telling them to, right? You're a servant of God if you do what God tells you, right? You should be concerned. What does the scripture say, right? And following God's rule in your life, right? That would be descriptive of a Christian. Uh, second, a um, prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks the words of God. Where I used the illustration of the meaning of the name last time, that bubbling water in a dry place. That should be you. You should be bubbling with the words of God, the truth, the words of life, right? So those around you have an opportunity to hear uh, about God's, God's love, all the truth that's in God's word, also God's judgment, right? We know the Spirit is working right now to convict uh, people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, right? That's, that's part of the word of God, too. <clears throat> uh, okay, that was... We got servants, prophets, saints. Saints uh, simply mean holy ones. Uh, we're made holy, we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. Uh, 
but uh, there should also be holiness in our life. We have positional holiness. There should also be uh, practical holiness, staying away from sin. I don't want to be defiled by that. Believers are not perfect, right? We fall into sin, and so we rejoice that the blood of Christ cleanses not just past, but also present and future sins. But there still ought to be a change in my life as a result of coming to know the Lord. Um, servants, prophets, saints, those who fear your name. Uh, <clears throat> we fear God. We respect him. We recognize that God has all power. I don't want <laughs> to go against God's will. It's never a good thing. <laughs> Right? I know there's always going to be negative consequences. Uh, and God has all power. So it's right. It's right for us to fear God. Now, we love God, right? And, and that should be the uh, dominating reason to please him. But it's healthy to fear God, too, to recognize the consequence of, of not doing what he asks us to do. <clears throat> and uh, it finishes with the word both small and great. And so we recognize... Uh, this world uh, may have its greats, right? You know, from president to small, uh, you know, a homeless person, uh, a little child, uh, and yet for God it makes no difference, right? It doesn't make any difference to God whether you're one of the great of this world or of the lowest level. Uh, what he cares about really is your relationship with him. That's what determines whether you will be rewarded uh, in the new kingdom, the new power structure has nothing to do with how you're doing in this world. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. Okay, uh, so those are those who are rewarded, right? Uh, what about those who uh, we see here described as, uh, as angry, right? Uh, and then later we're talking about those who destroy, destroy the world. Uh, again, looking at our verses, uh, the nations were angry. Why were they angry? They were angry uh, because uh, they don't want God to rule over them. Uh, I remember before I came to know the Lord and um, people started speaking to me about God, I had this really strong you know, sense, you know, I don't want him to rule over me. Right? I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And that describes the general population of the world, Right? They, people do what they want to do. They don't want to do what God wants them to do. Right? And so that's, uh, people in that position will be angry when, when Christ comes to rule the world. They're not going to want him uh, to rule over them. It says in Psalm 2, verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Right? That describes the nations uh, of the world. It also describes uh, them as those who destroy uh, the earth. And um, people today like talking about uh, uh, conserving the environment. And I'm not against that. Um, but this is not the concern here. It's not a concern of, of the environment being destroyed. It's concerned about people, right? God made us in his image. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us, not just with you and me, but with the whole world. Right now, seven billion people. 
uh, that are out there. And yet we know in the period of the seven years, the Antichrist is going to come to power and the false prophet. They're going to point people to worship the Antichrist and his image uh, and turn them away from God, blaspheme the name of God, his tabernacle, and those as well in heaven. They're going to be turning people in the millions against God. Not that these people would have had a right relationship with God to start with, but they're hardening them again to us. God is, is, is sending his prophets, sending the 144,000 to witness, sending his judgments down on the earth. These people are going to be working in the opposite direction to turn people away from God, right? And so in God's eyes, these are the people who are destroying the earth. It says in Matthew 18, verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses comes. God pays attention. He cares about people's eternal soul. And, and he is angry when he sees people working to turn people against him, to lead them uh, into sin. And so those are those who destroy the earth. Uh, what will be the consequence in uh, Psalms 2, continuing in verse 4? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And so uh, God will destroy all these nations that are against him. I, I don't want to steal from later on in Revelation, but we'll see in chapter 19, the whole world will gather together to fight against God, thinking that they can use their weapons, uh, their, their numbers, their might, uh, somehow to destroy this new kingdom that Christ was going, going, is going to be setting up on the earth. Uh, and yet God will, will completely wipe them out, right? It says they will, all be, they will all perish from the sword that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. He, he just needs to speak, and they're gone. God, who created this world uh, by the power of his word, doesn't need any more than that to destroy the whole world. So it's foolish, and that's why it says here that God will laugh. This is not scary. <laughs> you brought to me your millions of people and weapons, and I'm laughing. It's nothing, right? Uh, now, people have eternal souls, right? And it won't be uh, proper of me to stop here and, and say that's the end of all things because people who die have a, another death that they will face, the second death. In Revelation 20, it's described it like this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so those who reject God in this life uh, will be rejected by God for all of eternity. And that's what hell is, a place separate from God for all of eternity uh, called the lake of fire. So there's eternal consequences to rejecting God. It's not just that your life here on earth will end. It's your eternity will be separated from God. And uh, on the other side, if we wanted to, uh, we could look at, at, at the rewards coming to those who uh, are faithful to God. Um, I think we have time. I was struggling a little bit if we could fit that in. Uh, this is just kind of a summary uh, in the, book of, uh, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, we have the seven churches, and to each of the seven churches, God uh, or Christ at the end of the letter says, to him who overcomes, and then he, he describes one of the rewards they will get. So in uh, the first church, he said to them, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We will get to enjoy eternal life, not just to be in the millennium, but for all of eternity we will be with God and enjoy him. Uh, the second church, he said, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Second death we just described, being separated from God for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Uh, but he who overcomes, he who receives these rewards, he who is a believer in the Lord Jesus, will not suffer the second death. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, to the third church, he said, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Uh, we will have a personal relationship with Christ. You will know Christ like no one else knows Christ because he made us uh, as individuals with personality. We're all different. His relationship with each of us is different and meaningful uh, for all of eternity. To the third church, sorry, the fourth church, he said, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Uh, I, I title this as shared responsibility with Christ. We, we don't know all the details about what heaven will be like. And some people have an idea of sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. And maybe that's your idea of how you want to spend eternity. Uh, but uh, it's not in the scripture. Uh, the scripture describes us as God giving us work to do. In the Garden of Eden, it was perfect, but still God gave Adam and Eve work. He said, work the garden, right? Uh, in the millennium, God will give us a responsibility to rule with him. God will give us authority over the nations. Um, now, again, it's not to like, I got the power, 
right? It's about serving others, loving others, being humble, setting others above yourself, right? There's going to be opportunities for service in the kingdom alongside with Christ ruling the nations. Uh, I think I'm on number five. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I said that as a heavenly association uh, with Christ. Often people treat you not because of uh, who you are, but because of who you know. <laughs> and in heaven, everyone will view you as uh, someone who knows Christ. You have a personal relationship with him, and people will treat you based on your relationship uh, with Christ. He will confess you, it says. He says, I will confess them before my father and before his angels. They will all know. Angels will look at you. This is one of the ones who knows Christ. Uh, so the sixth one, he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out, comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And I titled that Shared Fellowship with God. We will enjoy fellowship with God, always being with God. And then the last church, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Um, it was not uncommon for when our new power came uh, to, uh, like a new king reigned, you know, he would hand out, you know, titles, you know, to the people who were supporting him in his claim for the throne. Uh, Napoleon made his brothers like kings of Italy and kings of Spain. <laughs> uh, God will invite you to rule over his universe together with him. That's what this verse is saying. All right, so these are the rewards of those who have a relationship with God when he comes to power. Right? When the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, uh, these are all rewards. And that's why, as Matt said this morning, uh, we look forward to his coming. Right? We have a good reason to look forward to his coming. All right, finally, uh, to close the last verse uh, here, uh, it says, And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, Noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. I, I'm thinking of this, um, you know, sometimes we, we want people to see our innermost, right? And, and we kind of, we, we say that we're bearing their hearts to them, right? In a sense, that's what God is doing here. It says that the, the temple of God was open in heaven. It's like God opening his heart, right? And it says the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, and I think what God is conveying here is how dear these things are to his heart. Uh, God is not, you know, playing around, right? These are things that God cares deeply about. He cares deeply about uh, who is in power in this world. It's not like it doesn't matter uh, to him. He cares greatly about individuals, whether they will... Uh, have eternal rewards with him in heaven or be separated from him for all of eternity. He cares about your decisions. Which kingdom 
are you in? Are you in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of the sign of his love, which will have eternal uh, consequences? Let me close with this. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, we've heard this before, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, it reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You keep saying it. You keep saying it. You keep saying it. God is coming. God is coming. <laughs> and it's not happening. Everything is continuing the way it was uh, for, for thousands of years. Um, and, and so Peter reminds us in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a, as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God waiting? Why is God waiting? He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He wants you to, to, to be conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. He wants you to come to repentance. Stop pushing God away and saying, I don't want him to rule over me. Recognize he has the right to rule over you, that you have rebelled and sinned against the Holy One of Israel. And as a result, you will be separated from him, from him for all of eternity, except for the fact he sent his own beloved son to die on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell. And instead, you can spend eternity enjoying him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, the day is coming when uh, your son will reign on the earth. And as your word says, we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, the one uh, thing that fills uh, our heart with sorrow, as we know it fills yours, is that those among us who have not yet responded to the call and have not yet been conveyed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of your love. We ask, Lord, that you be working in their lives. Convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment so that they will grasp at that free gift of eternal life that you're offering them. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.